Hey, look at somebody and say, it's good to see you. Hey, don't lie to them like you did last week. Come on, look at them again. Say, it's good to see you. Oh, they're offended now. Uh, I'm just teasing. Hey, I'm Sam. I'm the Great Poojman, the lead pastor here at Crossroads Church. And what that means is every single week, I try to tell the greatest story ever told. Now, not because I'm some great communicator or it's even my story, but I believe this story is a story about Jesus, and Jesus is the greatest person to ever walk the face of the planet. I actually believe he's more than just a person. I believe he's God in the flesh. And so if you've ever asked the question, what is God like, you don't have to look any further than the person of Jesus. And we believe the Bible is this story about Jesus. We say this around here. We say it's all about Jesus. We wrote it on the wall if you need some help. And what that means is you're going to need a Bible to follow along. And so if you forgot your Bible, uh, we got you covered. You can just slip up your hand. One of our ushers will get one to you. And if you don't have a Bible, that's our gift to you. We pray that you read it every single day because every time you do, you get to meet with Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. We got one more right over here, guys. And um, every time you read the Bible, you get to meet with Jesus. Amen? Amen. Three of you believe that. Amen? Amen. Amen. So turn in your Bible uh, to the Gospel of John. And so if you're new to the Scriptures, you can go two-thirds of the way into the book, and you'll find the New Testament. You'll find some guys' names, Matt, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, and so you'll find John there. We're going to be in John chapter 1. We started this series in the Gospel of John just a couple weeks ago on Easter Sunday morning. We're going to continue on with that. Today And so uh, I'm going to do my best to, to clean up some of the mess I made in first service and, uh, uh, and, uh, and try to uh, articulate my thoughts well. And uh, what I mean by that is um, there's a lot of information that I want to lay before you. And, and, and oftentimes when, when, and I'm being more aware of that, and uh, if you're new to the church, you're not used to a pastor, then you have, maybe you have no idea what I'm talking about. But if you've been around church, oftentimes my style of preaching can be in quite contrast, it can be quite shocking. And people, uh, you know, bring uh, people and they go, man, you got to see this guy. He's going to swing from the chandeliers, you know? And, uh, and, and so it, it just sometimes that's what it is. And sometimes it can be funny or or energetic and entertaining at times. And I want to use all those gifts and all those methods to try to stir your affections for Jesus and take every ounce of, of who God has created me to be to try to uh, bring renown to his name, proclaim the gospel to you. But th- today is going to be a, a, a little different. So I'm going to warn you and, and kind of help you uh, kind of navigate that. I'm going, to, I'm going to slow down a little bit. I got a, uh, I got a lot of content to try to cram into uh, just a few moments, and uh, yet uh, I'm going to try to edit all of the content I'd like to say and say a few things that maybe you have to walk away with, wrestle with yourself, and I want to be pastoral in a way that helps us navigate uh, relevant issues in what we're addressing and dealing with. So it's just going to feel a little different this morning, and I think that's okay, but I just want to prepare you for that. Um, And so I want you to look at the Gospel of John, starting in verse 1, and I'm going to read the first stanza there through Uh, verse 18. And we covered just a few verses last week. So it's looking like we're going to be in this book for the next 27 years. And uh, 
So uh, let's just keep grinding. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. You want to put a, an, a, an asterisk beside that, underline that verse. That is a strong assertion. He starts with, uh, in the beginning was the, this, uh, this word here is translated from the Greek word logos. Uh, and we dealt with that last week, and we talked about how life is communication in a very human cell is communication and the idea of the logos was from the stoics where they believed that there was this great mind this great language and this communication spawned everything john uh, takes that borrows that redeems that and says yes the highest form of intelligence science would agree is the is uh, is language and the language communication god spoke everything and made everything that is and John makes that uh, assertion in him was life and the life was the light of men the light shines into the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it there was a man sent from God whose name was John he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him he was not the light but he came to bear witness about the light the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world he was in the world and the world was made through him he asserts again the world was made through him so you want to underline that put an asterisk beside it this is important yet the world did not know him he came to his own and his own people did not receive him but to all who did receive uh, all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the father. He says, we have seen. He refers to his eyewitness account. He says, this isn't fairy tale. This isn't once upon a time. We saw him. And when he says the glory of him, he says, I saw what he did. I saw who he was. And, and, and all glory belongs to this one. And what he did was revealing who he was. And so I want to let you know, I've seen him, the glory as the son only son from the father full of grace grace means unmerited undeserved favor with god and truth john bore witness about uh about him and he cried out this one this was he whom i said he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me from for from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace for the law was given through moses grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Or in other words, if you've ever asked the question, what is God like? You don't have to look any further than the person of Jesus. Will you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you for who you are and who you are to us. I, I ask you uh, that you would help 
my mind be pure and that my words be yours. And I pray that you give us ears to hear, hearts to receive, and minds to understand that this would stir us and provoke us, maybe even challenge us and exhort us all towards your name, the name which is above every name, the name of Jesus, for your glory and the good of this valley. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. So Christianity comes from Judaism, if you're not aware of that. The Old Testament that we call the Old Testament of Scripture is the the Hebrew Bible, the Jewish Bible. And before uh, Judaism was known for a nation, the nation of Israel, Israel was a family. And before it was a family, it was a person. And this person's name was originally Jacob. Jacob means deceiver. And the Old Testament tells us a story about how Jacob fought with God. The angel of the Lord came to Jacob and they had a wrestling match. And, and they wrestled in, in such a way that, that Jacob uh, fought hard and well and God blessed him because of it. And because of this struggle, this fight, he changed his name from Jacob the deceiver and he changed his name to Israel which literally means one who wrestles with God. See, the foundation of Christian faith, the foundation of Christian thought, theology, which is a, is a big term for what do you believe about God. Can I tell you that at the foundations of, of who we are as the ecclesia, the gathering of the church, is that we are people who fight with God. God. Somebody say, oh, no. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? Look, uh, look at somebody and say, get ready. <laughs> look at somebody and say, ding, ding. Right? <laughs> right? The, the, the fight is on. The reality is, is that it is our tradition that we are to struggle and fight well with God. And my belief is, is that if we fight well, others will win. Amen. If we struggle well to know who God is, if we struggle with truth, how, how many know that in order to gain truth, you're in for a fight. Three of you. Thank you. Uh, uh, come on, brother. And uh, if, if you are looking for truth, and, and nowadays, let's just be honest, that finding truth is increasingly more difficult, wouldn't you say? But see, the reality is, is people have been trying to wrestle with this thing of truth since the beginning of time. And in the, in the, the garden conversation in Eden was about would they believe God's truth or would they go looking for their own? And the idea of eating from the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Something about us that we think if we know more, how many of us know oftentimes knowing more does nothing good for us, right? And it's not, this, this is not an appeal to ignorance. What it is, is the more you know, the more you have to sift through, the more information that you have. And now we are people who are bombarded constantly with information. And, and we are people, uh, like our society for many years, has been food rich and nutrition poor. And now we're gluttons of data and starve for truth. 
We have, we have more information than we know what to do with, and yet we feel more lost and more anxious and try to figure out what do I believe? Who do I believe? And, and, and what should I consume? And, and yet what the scriptures are showing us that the fight for truth is the fight of your life. And in order to discover and sift through and, and, and fight and, and, and try to figure out exactly what is nutrition for my soul. And see, that's where we're going to be at today is I want to try to stir you in such a way that uh, you uh, are in for a fight. And some of what I mean by that is, is I'm not going to, uh, I'm not going to, feed you with a bunch of information this morning even uh, some of some of my struggle this morning and and uh, the lack of flow in, in in some of my speech that I would normally have is trying to figure out what information to give you that caught that stirs you because here's the reality and this is a conversation that I that I have often let me let you in behind the curtain when I think about a sermon when I think about how to prepare for for you, and this isn't a critique. If you're in this area, let me let me help you. But if you've been in church for some time, you'll hear this idea often, especially in the middle of changing churches. Sometimes, and and and, and here's the reality: where we're at as a culture, God is shifting things around. People have moved. People have jumped in response to how we're dealing with with cultural things, societal things, how we're dealing with the current climate. And so, this is not a judgment for anyone's in that situation. But here's the here's something that that I've discovered over the years of being a pastor oftentimes when people move churches they'll say this I just wasn't getting fed over there you ever heard that you you ever said that maybe so here, here's what I want to help you with if your pastor preaches the scriptures and they lay before you more so than not they tell you Jesus stories rather than pastor stories it got quiet, uh, right? Because here's the reality. I'm not a guru. I'm not your guru. Amen? Amen. I think you do better than that, right? Uh, I, I'm not your guru. Amen? Amen. Right? Like, I, I am simply trying to be a guide who straps up my boots, packs my pack, walks this thing alongside with you. I, I, have, I have to struggle with what it means to be a man, what it means to be a, a, a faithful follower of Jesus, what it means to be a good dad and a good husband and a good community uh, citizen. I have to struggle with those same things. And, and this isn't Christianity by, uh, by representation. I'm not your representative as the best Christian that you no, because if I'm the best Christian, you know, we are all in trouble. Okay, so let me just get that out of the way. I'm not. And so then you have the responsibility to struggle, fight, wrestle, claw, and, and move towards the person of Jesus who is the light of all men. And see what light is, is that he is off in the distance and we are moving towards the light. So when John says that he was the light of men, meaning that all of us have something that attracts us to the direction of Jesus. And so for all of that, he is the light of of men and he shines into the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it meaning wherever you are in whatever situation you're in his light will shine through and cause you to wrestle with will I go towards the light or will I stay in 
darkness. And see, this is your fight. And so this isn't also salvation by association. The Bible says to walk out your salvation with fear and trembling. How have you ever been in a fight? Don't look at them, right? <laughs> right? So like, I'm about to, right? Like, uh, and uh, how many, like, if you were a trained fighter, if you've, uh, <laughs> everyone knows who I was pointing to. Anyways, uh, uh, kind of looks like me. All right. I just want to point that. I just want to point that out. Uh, if you're a trained fighter, any trained fighter knows that as well as they can be prepared, as knowledgeable as they can be, there is still fear and anxiousness, anxiousness when you walk into the ring, knowing what's getting ready to happen as prepared as you can be as knowledgeable as you can eat. The butterflies will hit and there will be fear and trembling. Yet in spite of fear and trembling, there will be the pursuit of the fight. You with me? And so the Bible says that to walk this thing out with fear and with trembling, as if you were in the fight for your life. Listen, Dad. Listen, Mom. You are in the fight of your life, and you have a responsibility to fight well so that others may win. Not to be spoon-fed by gurus, but to feast because you've went hunting. You with me? See, here's what I think about when I think about preparing a sermon. I've shared that recently with some individuals who uh, are new around here and talk about what, what my flow is here. Here's what I try to do. I try to prepare the appetizer, right? Uh, and so, so the Bible says uh, to Peter, Jesus says to Peter, feed my sheep. But here, here's what the Bible doesn't tell me is how much to feed you, right? That's a good joke. You'll laugh later. Uh, and <laughs> that's later. Uh, anyways, so when I think about how many of you have small children, man, aren't you thankful for half-off appetizers, <laughs> right? I mean, you, you, you get appetizers. That's a full, come on, that's a full, don't judge me because I don't buy them an entree. They're not going to eat all of it anyways, right? Like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to I'm gonna prepare the appetizer and for a child, it's a full Meal, But what does it do for the mature? What does it do for the adult? It arouses their appetite. That's the point of the appetizer. It touches the appetite and stirs them. So what I try to do every single week is to prepare the appetizer that the, that the, the child, the, the, mature, the, the, the new in faith will be full and they'll be nourished. But those who are uh, our adults, those who are the mature, will be stirred to hunger. See, when you're a child and you're hungry, you look for someone to feed you. When you're an adult, you look for something to eat. Thanks, Dad. Uh, right? When you're an adult and you're hungry, you don't look for someone else or you shouldn't look for someone else to feed you. You should look for something to eat. And so I, my contention is, is that if I stir you to hunger, you will go hunting and hunting people will grow up. 
Amen. And people who know what it is to hunt, people who know so to track, someone who knows the value of an animal, when knows the value of that life being given for them, and to take that and know where it came from and know how to process it and take what is is nourishment and give it to the people around them that they care for the most. See, we're far removed from where food comes from that I think we miss the point that the scriptures talk about what it means to eat meat. Sorry, vegans. I'm not going to apologize for it, right? Right? Like, I just, uh, if at any time you want to sub in your illustration for hummus and tortilla chips, that's fine. Um, I just won't come to your house for dinner. We'll eat out, right? <laughs> and, uh, so, so, but, so, so when you ask a child, where does food come from? And they say Albertsons, and I say El Rancho, right? Because of the meat. And uh, anyways, uh, if you're local, you know. And, uh, and so when, when we're so detached, we've missed what the struggle is. See, we become lazy in our pursuit because we just have food handed to us. We have information handed to us. And then we'll just eat whatever's right in front of us. And here's what happens. Our, our gluttony. Listen, friends, Google is gluttony, friends. Like you are, you, we have an abundance of information and yet you have the responsibility to go hunting. You have the responsibility to seek out what is nourishment for yourself and for the people that you love and care for and process it and take it and, and, and serve it in such a way that it is goodness to all who are around me. So if you are a mature believer, my job is not to feed you. It's to stir you to hunger. Why? Because a child nursing is cute and a man it's disturbing. I didn't know if I was going to use that illustration or not. I was like bottle nerd and let's just go for it. Right. <laughs> just kind of, uh, that's where we're right. Like one's cute. Another one's disturbing. So if you've been around for a while, you have responsibility. Not look for a man, do not look for a guru, do not look for a pastor. You have a responsibility to struggle well. And here's what I believe has happened. Our, our slothfulness has caused uh, us to become lazy and deceived. And see, the whole point of this story was to take us from those who are deceived and contribute to the deceiving the propagating of lies and misinformation and, and, and not wrestling with truth, knowing that reality is far more nuanced than it's this or it's that. That, that, that reality is far more nuanced than be able to categorize and, and begin to organize that you have a responsibility to struggle. Well, you are a complex organism and you came from a, a infinite God and John asserts it that there's something different about you and you were made by him. See, the, the struggle is this. The wrestling match that you have to come to is what we've been talking about over several weeks. I bring this up often, which is the idea that you have to wrestle with your worldview or in other words, how, how you see the world. That's what well, it's called a worldview, but uh, it's how you see everything. Somebody look at somebody and say, everything. Three of you, thank you. Uh, 
look at somebody or look at me and say everything. It means how you see everything. Everything comes through these questions. Where did I come from? Why am I here? What am I doing? And where is this going? Everything that you are, every interaction you have, every human interaction you have, every, every relationship that you have, every uh, morality question, should I do this, shouldn't I do this, all comes through that. Ultimately, your purpose, do I like my job, do I not like my job, should I be doing something else, should I get married, should I not, should, should we have kids, should we not, should we adopt, should we foster, should we do this, should we do that, why am I here and what am I doing, all these questions of why that social media is making a killing on trying to appeal to those searching for truth and searching for meaning and yet ultimately that all comes from the start of origin how did we get here see the reality is is John asserts very quickly he says that all things were made through him And nothing was made that was made was made without him. Your whole worldview has to wrestle with the start of where did we come from? How did we get here? Now, herein lies the problem. Here's where we're at, and here's the struggle, and here's the fight that you have to begin to wrestle with. See, everyone is preaching a sermon. Everything is preaching. Every book you read, every social media post that you stumble across, every blog site, everything is preaching a sermon. Why? It's trying to appeal to your belief system. Why? Because your belief is the very thing that drives your behavior, origin, meaning, morality. It's the dealing of behavior. And ultimately, your behavior determines where you're going. You are a product today of all the things that you did yesterday or that somebody else, through their misguided sense of morality, what they thought was right and wrong maybe something happened to you that were outside of that but all of us are under this auspice of what is right and what is wrong how is the world governed and ultimately those questions start with how did you get here and if your belief system is skewed if your belief system is not truthful if you are deceived or a part of the deceiving then what I would say is you're not fighting hard enough to wrestle with truth so that you win and your family wins and so here is the problem we live in a culture that is trying their best to assert that religion and science religion and and the ideas of origin and the natural world are at odds with one another anybody live in the same world that I live in right You've never heard this before. We could, we could end now. Let's just wrap it up. These guys are good, right? right? We, we live in a world that these two things are at odds with one another. And you have been convinced through what I would say revisionists and people who will try to ignore what actually was the explosion of scientific thought has tried to suggest that science and religion have always been at odds with one another. What if I told you that was not the case? What if I told you it was actually the belief in God and the idea that the universe is not random or out of order, that there actually is order and there is, there is structure and governance, or will I say there is a legislator 
organizing and dictating what happens in the universe. So then, science exploration is the endeavor to discover the laws that were put there by the legislator. When Sir Isaac Newton set out uh, and discovered the laws of motion, he understood from a premise that there was a law giver who's organized the universe and there are laws that can be discovered. Yet, oftentimes, what we, we push back into history is that these things are not congruent with one another. If you were raised in the church or, or you've been a part of the church for some time, there has been this conflict of faith and science for generations now. And actually what's been told is that the reason why young people leave the church at a certain time is the church's response to science. Have you ever heard that? That church and, and science are so at odds with one another that the reason why is the church needs to become more modern and relevant and adopt ideas that are scientific so that we can win more young people. And so everyone is trying to convince you of certain beliefs. The question, did God create everything? And actually, how did he indeed do it? This has been a wrestling match for me for some time. I, I, I did a sermon uh, a few years ago, and we did a series called Ask Anything, where we essentially took questions, and we dealt with some of the life's toughest questions over the summer. And it was our summer series and a break for a book. And I had a large whiteboard up here, and, and, I, and I talked about uh, some of the issues with uh, what people refer to as neo-Darwinism, which is modern Darwinism. And, and so I, I, I dealt with some of the, the holes that are in uh, scientific evolutionary thought. And even to say the word science is oftentimes put together, and I think it's, it, it, it does a disservice to what is actual science. After the, the sermon, I, taught, I met a gentleman who was attending our church at the time who considered himself to be scientific, and, and he had an organization that he supported, that he wanted to. It's just ironic that on this particular Sunday that he brings this up and he actually has the t-shirt on from an organization, a Christian organization entitled BioLogos. BioLogos is a group of, of evolutionary creationists. They want to change the name at different point or, or evolutionary theists. And here's their premise, and, this, uh, and, and ultimately this is a paraphrasing from the founder and CEO of this nonprofit. And there are many pastors and theologians who support this idea. But the idea that God used natural selection and evolution and ultimately and used it as the creative mechanism for creating all life. And there are all types of people in churches and organizations that are trying to use this idea to infiltrate into the church. And I use that, that, that word very strategically because I do believe that it is infiltration into the church to propagate belief. Now, here's what the, what's the problem with that? And maybe you're someone like, well, I thought this was a church that was more modern and I could believe in science. And when you say science, you mean evolution. And so here's some things to wrestle with. 
I want to introduce you to a guy by the name of Stephen Meyer. Stephen Meyer wrote a book called Darwin's Doubt. And he wrote a new book recently released over the past couple of weeks called The Return of the God Hypothesis. What was really cool is after this sermon in first service, I came up to some uh, people who've been a part of this church for 30 plus years. And, and, and one of those, I'll just tell you, one of those is, is uh, Mr. John Weister, who is a, a professor at Biola uh, University and at Westmont. And afterwards, he came up to me and he said, said, how did you discover Steve Meyer? He's a good friend of mine. And I was like, well, can I talk to him? You know, <laughs> right? Like, uh, I've only seen him on YouTube right? and read his books. And what was really cool is to have that connection. So just to let you in on, like, we're going to try to have a conversation with the scientists that I've been uh, talking about this morning. And, and, uh, and, and I'm thankful for how God kind of or- orchestrates those things. But Steve Meyer wrote a couple books. One of them, I think, was called The Code in the Cell. And he talked about the discovery of DNA. See, oftentimes what is, what is suggested from science is all the place, and, and they, they, they propagate to us that we are committing a fallacy, which is called the God of the gaps, which means if there's anything that we can't explain, if you quickly insert that God did it, what you're doing is slothful and lazy, the very thing that I'm accusing us of doing if we don't wrestle with the scripture and wrestle with scientific fact. But what they say is to invoke God is to be lazy. And if you watch any debate between John Lennox, the mathematician, and, and other scientists, very quickly they'll accuse him of being lazy and not logical. And yet the, the very premise of his, his arguments are using logic and arithmetic and mathematics and probability and possibility to give a real, how is this probable to believe this rather than intelligent design? And so um, what they will invoke is that if there's a gap and we invoke God, that is lazy. On the inverse, I think they commit uh, some of the same fallacy. What they suggest is also a God of the gaps fallacy because what happens is any place where they can't explain it, what they do is like back to the future. They think 1.21 gigawatts, someday in the future, they will be able to explain it. You hear this? Whatever they do not know, they will say, well, we need more time and we will discover it. Here's the problem with that. The more discoveries they have, the more things they figure out, the more we know about science, the more and more that it points to the hypothesis that there must be an intelligent designer. And so the reality is, is what Stephen Meyer is bringing up in his book, The Return of the God Hypothesis, is there are actually evolutionary biologists that are bringing up the problems with evolutionary theory. And maybe you don't know any of these problems. Maybe you didn't realize that this is not settled science in the way we think about settled science. Although you've been taught that, it was in your textbooks, it was a part of of your, uh, your upbringing and your education, yet there are problems with it and not Christian apologetics who are bringing up books and talks talking about the problems, actually evolutionary biologists at the top of their field are beginning to bring up the problems. Let me give you, for instance, Stephen Meyer brings up in one of his talks that 
In 2016, the Royal Society of London brought together a, a group of scientists who were debating the problems with Darwinian evolution. The, the Royal Society of London was actually the upper echelon of scientists that can be dated back to Sir Isaac Newton, where they begin to wrestle with where actual scientific theory is. Not what's being propagated, not what's in textbooks, but what is actually in the scientific literature. What do I mean by that? When you come to church and you listen to a pastor, you are, you are hoping that I'm educated, trained, and called, if you want to use the religious word, that I have the ability to help rightly divide things that you may not understand on your own, help you hunt for truth, and that would ultimately give you something that's, that needs to be interpreted, and I give that to you, and what I give you is actual truth. Are you with me? What you are acting under the assumption is if someone calls themselves a scientist, an educator, and listen, I have many educators in the room for first service, and, and, and I've talked to them over the years. What you hope is that what they give you is not their own interpretation. It, it is ultimately from scientific fact and research. Are you with me? They become the preachers of a different scripture. And that scripture ultimately originated with Charles Darwin. You ever heard of him? Three of you? That's awesome. Uh, he is the author of The Origin of Life and where we get Darwinian evolution. The idea, and there's different forms of it, change over time, but the most, uh, the, the, the most accurate uh, kind of uh, idea behind evolution is this, is that a blind natural cause is the explanation for all that exists. Blind, non-directed change over time explains away the appearance of design. So here's what they suggest. When you see design in nature, it's only the appearance of design. So what they try to suggest to you is that you move away from logic and what you know to be true, and there is a, another explanation for it. So when I say there's a building, you think there's a builder. Let's try that again. When there's a builder, a building, you think there's a builder. When there's a book, there's a author. When there's a sonnet, there's a crossroads worship band, right? right? Like, like logic tells you that when you see something that is designed with intention and purpose, that there has to be a designer. Charles Darwin set out to explain away the appearance of design without the need for a designer. How many know what type of degree Charles Darwin had? How many would think that Charles Darwin had a science degree? Would you raise your hand if you believe that? This says the engineer. I don't know. Right? <laughs> How many would believe me if I said that Charles Darwin did not have a science degree? He had a theology degree. You know who else has one of those? 
He had a theology degree. So here's someone who has some ideas about God. Theology is what do you believe about God? And ultimately he's wrestling with this first question that we all have to wrestle with. And he is suggesting that when you see the appearance of design, it is not from a designer. It is actually from blind, random, undirected causes. And yet that's a belief system that now has been propagated and then wholesale sold to us with the label of science. And yet there are tons of issues with it that top leading microbiologists would bring together and go, we can't explain this, we can't explain this. And rather than give you all the different slides and try to repeat to you, Stephen Meyer, here's the fight that you're in. Maybe you go, man, I don't, I don't agree with all of that. Pastor, I don't, I don't know, man. I, I thought that, that pastor was, was, was cool and hip and he was in with relevant stuff. I didn't think he was anti-science. See, some of what I think has happened, and I, I started down this, this track when, during all of COVID, I started wrestling with where did we get this thing of believe all scientists? When did this start happening? When did we just start wholesale believing what was, whatever is right in front of us? During COVID, I began to ask questions. And some of you know, not everyone's been excited about how Crossroads Church has been handling this whole thing. You know, I think it's irresponsible, but uh, you'll get that later. Uh, there are people, I started asking the question, how do we get to this place? And I started thinking about, and, and how do we get there in the church? How did, when, when another pastor would talk to me about our response or what we were doing, and it was far more nuanced. Maybe you think you could categorize us and, and people could quickly try to point out my politics or think we're just because we were open and indoors. You know me based on that? That seems lazy, seems slothful. You can categorize me that way? Man, it's just a few years ago when I said God loves illegal immigrants and you don't get to ask me questions about it or him questions about it. Man, I was, I was far too liberal then. And now I'm opening doors and I'm far too conservative. Which is it? Man, listen, your politics will not fit inside the scriptures that talk about Jesus because Jesus won't fit in your political box. You won't be able to. If you're liberal, he'll offend you because he's far too conservative. If you're conservative, he's far too liberal for you. You won't be able to box him. He won't fit. He will challenge you and offend you at every single turn. But I begin to ask the question, well, how did the church become lazy and begin to propagate things that they don't know about? Why is it that pastors and people are speaking on things that they should not be speaking about? And people are trying to wrestle with what's true. And they're coming to people that they think are gurus who can help them with truth. But you have to fight yourself. My job is not to feed you. It's to point the way to the light of all men. And you have to wrestle with it. But I started asking the question, how do we get here? How do we stop asking rigorous questions of science? And I started thinking about it, it was when the church dropped the fight with evolution. See, for generations, the church used to lead the fight for, for education and bringing in theistic creationism inside of schools. 
We used to say, no, 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 if you're going to teach Darwinian evolution, you have to teach creationism right beside of it. Intelligent design right beside of it. Stephen Meyer was testifying in 2009 in front of the the Texas uh, State Board of Education. God bless Texas. But I don't want to live there, you know. (laughs) You ever drove through there? Right, right. Uh, Just wave at it on your way to California. Uh, so we're moving to Texas. No, you're moving to Austin. That's not Texas. Anyways. <laughs> Let me remind you that this isn't political. It's just funny. Uh, Stephen Meyer testified to the state, Texas State Board of Education where they were talking about legislation which would demand that educators begin to teach both the theory and the problems with the theory on each side. He had showed up to the talk with over a hundred peer-reviewed scientific journals from leading scientists who would suggest there are problems and holes in the theory that we cannot explain. Yet the other lady who was testifying that morning before she testified in front of the state board was on a talk show where she said this legislation that's going to be put in about the problems with the theories does not apply to neo-Darwinism because there are no problems with neo-Darwinism. And this is someone who's paid and a part of a system that benefits from people continually accepting neo-Darwinism as the origin of species without scientific journals, without acknowledging that there are some problems. So I started asking the question, how did we as a church during COVID get to this place? And, and by church, I mean Christians all over who are wrestling with how do I respond Man, listen, listen to scientists. Well, not all scientists, but especially if they disagree. Only if they support this type of science. And listen, there have been credible, credible scientists who have been discredited. There are people who have been for lockdowns, against lockdowns. There, there have been people who are for masks, against masks. There are people who wholesale decide each side with no one being able to have an honest conversation in the middle that says, man, do we have scientific evidence to support it? Are you with me? So here's what's happened. Is I, I begin to ask the question, how did we get here as a church See, this organization that I was telling you about earlier, BioLogos, are people who are Christian leaders convincing the church that an evolutionary worldview is a proper worldview and they're to view the lens of the scripture through that worldview. And so what happens is, is we begin to now, instead of faith pushing science, Faith saying there must be a legislator. There's order to the universe. Uh, Yesterday I was was surfing, believe it or not, from my accent. And uh, we were at Halama. And uh, I was thinking about it. The wind was howling and and it was breaking all over. And, And here's what 
the difficulty of that moment was is I couldn't get in the right spot. And so my, my estimation is that the waves are coming at random. Right? It's just all over the place. It's just breaking in different spots. It's random. It's by chance. But here's the reality. When you see something that's random, here's what you know. And that's what Newton discovered. That the wave that broke over there wasn't random. That it was caused by something a long way off. And then it hits the contour of the ocean. And although it seems random, it hit there because it hit a shallow bottom different. Or, or it tapered out because it hit a deeper spot and I thought it was going to break there and then all of a sudden there was more water. What, what appears to me to be random, what I know is because I have a hunch that something caused it, that it didn't happen by chance and what appears to be random has a cause. Here's what the opposite is something that appears to be designed like you and me something that appears to have meaning and intention and purpose that somehow they've convinced you that it does not have a cause that you are just random processes man how you see the world determines how you interact with it Man, Darwinian evolution used to be the idea of the survival of the... Man, if we're going to be scientific about this whole thing, why didn't we just open up and see who survived? Because that might not necessarily be the most moral thing, and you have to wrestle with that. We're trying to figure out the science. Originally, it was two weeks to try to figure it out. We even shut down at the church as a church to start because we didn't know. Then data came out. Then we started opening up. Then we encouraged people who were at risk and vulnerable to stay home. And we put a lot of money into the online experience so that people could stay home and they could socially distance and be safe. But we did not condemn the well and the healthy because the Bible actually came up with the idea of quarantining the sick. not infringing on the healthy. And yet anyone who disagreed with that, we quickly moved to discredit. That's the tactic. See, the church for years dropped the debate of evolution versus creation because we didn't want to be seen as science deniers. We didn't want to be called stupid. It's like, well, I guess we'll let it in. Right? Because here's what Richard Dawkins said in 1989, he said, it's absolutely safe to say that if you meet someone who claims to not believe, notice the word believe because it's all about belief. If you meet someone who claims not to believe in evolution, that person is ignorant, stupid, or insane, or wicked, but I'd rather not consider that. The reason why I'd not consider that because if you think something's wicked, you have to think something's good. And if something's good or evil, you have to have a standard outside of itself to determine whether it's good or not. So then if there's a law of morality, there has to be a lawgiver and a supreme being by which you decide what is wicked and what is evil. But if we're at random, if we're just by chance, there is no morality. 
There is no right and wrong. There is no wicked. There is no good. It is do whatever you want as long as you're fitter, smarter, braver than the rest and you'll survive. If you accept one of this, and here's the problem. This is the irony that Stephen Meyer is bringing up and I'll close with this. Stephen Meyer says it's the irony of this is that when leading microbiologists are coming together and talking about the problems with Darwinian evolution, they're coming together and the, and the peer-reviewed science is causing more objections. The more we discover about DNA in the cell and the more we look at the universe and we peer off into the distance, the more we think about the Big Bang, meaning there was a beginning. Do you know that, that popular science was that the, the universe was eternal? And science did not want to suggest that the universe had a, a beginning. But with the study of light, they could draw everything back. And that was, that, was rich, uh, that was Stephen Hawking's contribution to science, is that the universe had a beginning. Why is it that Genesis says, in the why does John open up and say, in the See, faith has always driven science. But here's what's happened. Is groups, in order not to be considered stupid, not to take the offense, and to be lazy and just consume whatever's put in front of them, instead of asking rigorous questions, we've dropped the fight. We'd rather preach therapeutic moralistic deism the God of the feel good and the God of the do and don't and God is distant and absent and let everything go the way it's going to go but instead we would fight well that others would win we would seek to know the truth in all areas God's truth is the truth and all truth is his so study be diligent don't be lazy. Ask tough questions. Don't just believe the preachers of science or the preachers of theology. Begin for yourself with fear and trembling because it matters how you see. It matters how you see the world. It matters how you see your family. It matters how you think about how you got here, why you're here, what you do while you're here. And what happens when we die? Is this all for nothing? The new atheists would say this. They would take a line from 1 Corinthians 15. Paul stakes everything on this. He says this. He says, if Christ has not been raised, then all of this, all these teachings about morality and everything, it's all in vain. If Christ has not been raised, then let's drink and be merry for tomorrow we die. The famous lines of the new atheists, Richard Dawkins, the last line of their talk is let's drink and be merry for there is no God and tomorrow we die. Listen, friends, Christ raised from the dead and that changes everything and it changes how you see it. And there is meaning and there is morality and you are, are responsible to the author of life. Fight well. Fight well that others will win. Will you pray with me?
Jesus, I thank you that something would resonate in the hearts of your people. Maybe it's a stir not to be slothful and lazy that they would come out of their slumber and ask tough questions. That as a parent, as a mom and a dad, they would be the chief shepherd of their home. That it wouldn't be Pastor Sam, it'd be Pastor Dad, Pastor Mom. That they would take responsibility not to just take their family to gurus, but they would be guides. That they would begin to study and hunt and ask tough questions and not just label everything this or that. Maybe it's more nuanced the way a relationship is because that's exactly what we're endeavoring to do. And relationships are a fight to keep. But we'll fight well with you, Lord. Help us to steward well the information, the information revolution that we live in as we are gluttons of data and starve for truth. Let us see the truth of your word because you are the light of men and you point the way. We'll come out of the dark. We'll ask tough questions even if it costs us our reputation. Even if they say, well, you're, you're just ignorant. You're just one of those Jesus people. Raise up honest scientists, honest physicians, people in the trades, people in the tech space. Let them be honest. Don't let them be like Jacob, a deceiver. But let us all be fighters. And we know if we fight well, others will win. We thank you. Let everything we say and everything we do bring glory to you and good to this valley. And everyone said, Amen. We give Jesus one more hand clap of praise.